welcome to episode 59 of Songs from a Padded Envelope. My name is Steve and I'm here with co-host Ben. Hello, Ben. Hey there, Steve. We're on Zoom. We're on Zoom for the first time. Well, not the first time ever, but the first time for this particular <laughs> podcast. You'd never come across it before. <laughs> yeah, well, how, how, how refreshing that would be. <laughs> Our guest for this episode is Will Crudson, a.k.a. Scant Regard. Now, as you'll hear in the episode, uh, the idea for this one came from a, a kind of uh, unexpected place and Ben took us in an unexpected direction. It did indeed, mate. I mean, I've, I have to say, you know, that I have always felt slightly conflicted by the nature and notion of the, the session musician as a, you know, an individual as a person because it feels kind of so alien from my own ex you know own experience as a musician but this is a, a really sort of deep dive and a rewarding insight into um the enthusiasm of someone that just can't get enough of making and playing music oh yeah no choice no say in the matter really to to, to a great degree and like i said it's not at all what we were expecting but it is the story of a lifetime of music making and it just kind of unfurled before the episode as we were kind of looking at uh will sent over his uh, uh, biography and stuff so oh my god look at all this look at all this incredible stuff that he's done and then during the episode it, it kind of unfurled before us it was a it's quite a lot to take in really it was because like you said the list of list of um the amazing array of people that he's collaborated with it reads yeah it reads like an epic list doesn't it and then you know i think both of us in advance of the conversation had gone and checked out well you know one of one of the people that he ends up playing with is one of his you know pop star idols with adam Ant. and i mean it's going back and checking out adam and the ants is always a joy and a pleasure and the way and then the way that will speaks about the almost the kind of matter of factness about how he was able to kind of um, established this relationship with Adam and, and then become an integral part and still is an integral part of the touring band. Um, and then some, um, uh, you know, one, one of the other stories around his kind of collaborations was around with Selector, wasn't it? And I love the, I love the boldness and assuredness of his confidence. He said that I've never, you know, I'd never really played Scar before, but then he got the, got the sniff of an opportunity and went and then next thing is there touring, touring with the band and that. Um, yeah. Stunning stuff. Really, really interesting as well. Yeah. Could we be bold enough to use the phrase journeyman in this instance? Do you think, do you think he'd like that? I don't. I guess. I guess on some level he probably would, wouldn't he? But it's so. it, it's more than that, isn't it? Because he's you know he's not just in it for that, is he? Because whilst he's busy collaborating with um, people and being the the journeyman and the session musician, there he is off doing the Rachel Stamp stuff and playing his own gigs happily. And when when you asked him the conversation about is this because he was about to go off on tour with Adam and the Ants. And you said, I oh, was this your first kind of dive back into the live arena after the pandemic. And then he reeled off about 
10 things that he'd done since then that <laughs> no no absolutely not i was in new york the other month just doing some solo shows and that so yeah yeah it, it, it seemingly never stops for will does it no and and i guess he doesn't know who's going to be in, on the end of the phone when it rings because <laughs> yeah so diverse yeah and eclectic range of artists that he's that he's been involved with it's a really interesting episode and like i said it, uh, it came from a very unexpected place um so a tip of the hat to the wonderful richard herring um, although he has, you know, he's got nothing to do with this other than the fact that uh, scant regard provide the music for his podcast. But, um, <laughs> it's an excellent podcast, and uh, it was the inspiration for. Oh, wouldn't it be interesting to speak to someone who made music for him for for a podcast? Uh, yeah, and aye, aye. And, and, and he, here we are. Um, so our thanks to Will for being on the show and being such a fantastic guest. And on that note, let's go over to episode 59 of Songs from a Padded Envelope with Will Crudson. Hi, this is Will Crudson and my song is I Gotta Say. Hello, Will. Well, look, thanks for coming on the podcast. So full disclosure, I reached out to you as a fan of uh, Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast, for which you've provided the theme music. Uh, and I was expecting... In all honesty, I was expecting to uncover a young mustachioed hipster looking to carve out a career in TV and film <laughs> theme music uh, from their bedroom. Um, so imagine my surprise when I read your biog and tapped into the sort of vast and rich, varied backstory of scant regard and your good self. So we're really excited to have you on the show uh, and can't wait to get into all of that. But can you kick us off with the story of how your music ended up on Richard Herring's podcast? Uh, that was actually just through a, a, a good friend of mine, Chris Evans, not the Chris Evans, another Chris Evans. Um, I think Rich Herring does mention him quite a bit and probably says the same thing, not the Chris Evans. But um, uh, he was a friend. He's actually through a friend of one of my bands, Rachel Stamp. Um, I think David, the singer from Rachel Stamp, went to school with him. And he's been working with Richard for a few years. Um and he saw me do my solo stuff live and he liked the sound of it. Um, and they were looking for like an exclusive track to use for the podcast. And he asked me and um, it all happened very fast, actually. Yeah, I think it, it took about, I don't know, it only took about an hour to do that, really. So I'm very pleased that they, it was the right thing because these things can go, can go either way, really. You know, you can end up, um, you know, making amendments to the cows come home, you know, but this was very easy. So that's good. Yeah, he does refer to him as uh, Chris Evans, not that one. Uh, in, yeah, yeah. <laughs> reg yeah. Regularly, he does. He does amazing stuff. Chris Evans, doesn't he? His um, Go Faster Stripe um, imprint for like comedy recordings and stuff is amazing. He's a proper he just champions comedians in the UK and puts out work that no one else would put out and has an amazing kind of catalogue of stuff uh, that he just that he's just sort of you know got on got on with releasing. He's uh, yeah, really impressive. Yeah, um, cheers. Well, listen, there's, there's so much in your story that we're keen to find out more about, but can you give us a whistle-stop tour of your journey to picking up the guitar? Uh, well, originally I picked up a classical guitar when I was still at school. Um, I'd already had piano lessons and um, decided I'd rather, I'd prefer to play the guitar. So I did all the, the grades, you know, up to grade eight. And um, I went to the Royal Academy of Music, actually, because um, my teacher was already teaching there when I had, he used to teach me from his house and um, advised me to go there and I managed to get in there. Um, that was just kind of like every Saturday uh, up to I was about 16, I think. Um, and then I left school, left college and just decided to 
I just always wanted to be in a band really, always wanted to play electric guitar. So um, did that for a few years with no, not much joy until I joined a band called Rachel Stamp um, in the mid nineties. And uh, we got a deal quite fast and uh, made a few albums and, you know, toured for about 10 years pretty much. Yeah. In, in those, in those bands where you said you, you, you didn't have much luck, um, um, can you remember any sort of experiences out of those um, collaborations that were, you know, that were really helpful to you? Is there any of that, any of that stuff that you hold quite, you know, dearly? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of those bands, I was writing pretty much all the music and a lot of the lyrics as well, which I don't really do as much these days, but um, I was kind of writing for other people. Um, so I think it was a good experience in that way. It wasn't, probably wasn't as collaborative as uh as some of the bands i've been in since then um but you know it's kind of i think you kind of have to work out what you're doing in your own way first um and then you can bring it to other people so i suppose looking back on it it was quite a good way to start really yeah do you remember a significant point I and mean, you said you always wanted to be in a band but do you remember a moment like a, a song or a band or an or a person who, who kind of prompted you to on that sort of journey um funnily enough it was probably adam and the ants because that was the first band i ever saw uh live and uh it was just like uh being on another planet watching them at that point um it was almost like Beatlemania for them at the time, you know, it was like loads of screaming girls and stuff. And um, so, um, yeah, it just looked like uh, the most glamorous way to live, really. And and because I loved music, um, to be able to to do music and, and play it live like that was just, yeah, it's just exactly what I wanted to do. Yeah. So uh, that the, begs the question, how, how that must have felt when you ended up being an ant yourself and, and, and joining the band, yeah. that must have been quite a thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was, um, it was kind of all through that band I was mentioning before, Rachel Stamp. He yeah. he used to come and see us um, back in the 90s. Um, that's when I first met him. I lost touch with him for probably a decade, really, after that. Um, uh, but then when he started coming back, uh, doing acoustic shows around London, I I met up with him again and said, asked him if he needed a guitarist, and he did at that point. So, um, yeah, that was about 12 years ago now. Um, so yeah, but it's still, it's a massive thrill to play with Adam. Yeah. Cause I love all that, all the tracks, all the, the different kind of phases of his career, all really, um, you know, really strong still, I think, you know, and kind of timeless really. So it's great to play that stuff. Did you have to steal yourself to ask him that question or did it come pretty easily? Uh, no, I kind of was, at, I, I wasn't doing anything else and it just seemed like a uh, sort of natural thing to ask really because i've done that before with other people as well you know i've kind of um well not forced myself on them but you know kind of um people that i admire you know and i uh, i've collaborated with before I've, I've just put it to them and it just seems uh when you're actually in front of someone it seems quite a normal thing to do yeah I can't blame me. I would be petrified. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, fair play. And and, and then because you just don't know, do you? And then the door that opened for you and to get on that. I'm 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 imagining when I'm thinking about that you having that conversation. You saying, well, actually, yeah, I do. Is that that lead up to that first rehearsal and then like the first time you start playing songs together? Those songs and those first couple of tunes. Just to do you remember what the first song you played was with in rehearsal? 
I really can't. It was a bit of a blur. It was a very late night rehearsal, I remember. So it was literally, it could well have been ant music or something like that, you know, just something um, quite simple compared to some of his other stuff. Um, yeah. But I literally, I just, I just went through every song, I could, every Adam and the Ants or Adam Ant song I could think of and, and just said, oh, let's do this one, let's do that one. And he just sang it. And yeah, it was just a, a lot of fun right from the start. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Have you ever had a moment playing with him where you suddenly had a kind of a sort of lightning rod back to you as a, as a youngster, seeing them for the first time? Has that ever hit you? Yeah, definitely. It's more, it's not sort of literal thought. It's more of a kind of feeling really, you know, a feeling. Cause it's to, to me at that time, it was almost, it was almost like they, he was like a superhero or something like a sounds ridiculous, but almost like, sort of action man or something you know in real life even when i saw him live so and he still kind of makes an effort to dress up on stage and all that and so you look you look to your side and you're thinking wow it's, it's like kind of almost like i'm in a cartoon or something <laughs> it's it's great which because all my favorite bands always had great looks and um, uh you know I, I love that kind of uh, side of music when people make an effort to do that yeah well, uh, that was something about, uh, and continues to be something about Rachel Stamp, right? There was the, like such a strong look and um, personality to the band, um, and it's been a kind of ongoing adventure, hasn't it? Really, and and I remember when when I lived in London and, and Ben and I were in bands in like the nineties in London. Um, Rachel Stamp's name was ever present in the in the listings. I mean, you played just all the time, it seems. And and how how did that band come together? uh well really david had already kind of come up with the band name and he'd recorded a few things he was from wales he'd recorded a few things in wales then he moved to london and it was the usual uh melody maker advert kind of thing at that point a lot of people joined bands through that method um and i remember he put in the advert uh guitarist wanted must like i think it was uh sonic youth and jellyfish and i just thought well that's uh i i can dig but i can dig that you know so um and then when we met up we just yeah we hit it off straight away i don't think i don't even think i i actually played in front of him until we did a rehearsal and we'd already decided that that, this was going to be the core of the band you know so um yeah that's how that's how that started yeah and you, you, you eventually got signed to WEA. So what's the journey like from the, the sort of inception of the band to getting signed? It was a very short journey in our case. Um, we we literally played about six gigs. Um, and then there was a couple of labels sniffing around as they did then, a lot more than they would these days. Um, and WEA was one of them. And uh, we really liked... Uh, their attitude and the way they just wanted to make it, you know, they did the whole spiel about making us stars and all this. And so um, we went with them. Yeah. Did you go down the route of, of uh, demoing and sending out demos and stuffing them into padded envelopes and trying to kind of get attention that way? Or was it from playing live that you kind of drew the labels to you? Well, um, David had recorded, as I said, he'd recorded stuff before he met me. Um, yeah. And that's, he'd actually got a publishing deal with that stuff. Those were demos, uh, but very high, very good quality demos. He'd actually gone in a studio properly. He had a friend who was an engineer in Wales that, um, that recorded it really well. So uh, almost like finished, you know, finished masters really. Uh, 
So um, I wasn't too involved with demos until we started, until we were signed pretty much. Yeah, then we we decided we'd written some stuff between us by then, and and we started demoing for the for the debut album. Yeah. So there's there was a lot of like you said that it was a particular time in the industry when there was a lot of money sloshing around and people offering contracts, um, lots of you know large advances and stuff. Did it feel um, like a given that you were going to get signed? Did it? Were you were you surprised at all, or do you think, oh, that was always going to happen? Um, it was quite surprising, yeah. Uh, but I think you know, as I say, we played so few gigs. There was there wasn't that much time to think. Really, it was almost like, oh right, we've got to go for a meeting here. We've got to go for a meeting there and speak to Beggars Banquet or whoever, you know. Um, so it was kind of like a whirlwind of you know, excitement really, you know, I mean, it was just, it was great. It was like, oh great, we can go on tour now. We don't have to worry. We don't have to get some decent equipment. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how it happened really very fast. How, how is, what was your experience of, of, of those, those meetings and that, that whirlwind of meetings? Cause it's, I, I, you know, I have, I have some memories of, 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 of that stuff happening and, and it, it, it can very quickly become, you know, a bit of a feeding frenzy and certainly like you say, happens really quickly. Um, but at that time in the nineties, in the, certainly in the, the scene in London, you know, that people weren't exactly, uh, you know, I found it quite difficult actually. It was, it was, it was a bit of a sea of sharks in, in many ways. And I found it was, it was, people were quite um, willing to, you know, crawl over each other to get to the thing that they wanted to get. And you can't, and I kind of didn't really believe anybody with what they were saying. You know, there was a lot of bullshit in, involved. Um, so, but, you know, that, that, that was sort of thinking about major labels rather than sort of the smaller independent ones. But how, did you, were you cautious? Was the band cautious or were you just, I mean, if you, you feel, it seems like you had tons of confidence about who you were as a band. So you had each other's backs, I guess, but were you cautious about the the industry at that time uh slightly i mean it's it is quite daunting when you think about contracts and you actually get them in front of you and all that you know and um but you know as i said we were just so excited to be able to go on tour and do what we wanted and go in the studio that that kind of that kind of overrided all these sort of uh apprehensive feelings i guess um so i can't remember it being too daunting really uh it was just more exciting you know yeah no, maybe that's maybe right. that was kind of uh that that was wasn't the right attitude really maybe we should have been a bit more cautious and gone with an indie label or something i don't know you know who who knows what we ended up with indie labels after that anyway you know so yeah what was this what was the story that took you from from wea to the um to the independent labels um well it was the classic thing of our a and we got signed by the the actual md um the the a and the head of a and r sorry not the md that's the musical director uh the head of a and r um and then he promptly left uh to go to emi um then he put out babylon zoo on emi and had a number one with that and we were left with some guy that really didn't understand rachel stamp at all so it's kind of like this i've heard this story so many times it's almost like a cliche in the music business you know uh getting the a and r guy that doesn't um understand you um because they didn't sign you and they don't have any interest in you you know because it's not going to reflect on them if you don't you know if you don't make it or if you don't 
do it for the label. So um, so it all went downhill pretty quick. Uh, but we still managed to record a whole album and um, we managed to put all those tracks out on our B-sides and stuff after the deal. So um, yeah, but the deal, the album didn't come out. We had three singles. Uh, they put a lot of money into videos and, um, you know, the whole release process. But no one knew who, who we were at that point, really. We hadn't really sort of um, started touring um, as hard as we did afterwards. And that's when we got our kind of following, you know, was after that record deal when we just continuously toured the UK. Was there, was there something in that experience about, um, about being dropped that made you kind of grab back all the control and say, okay, we're going to, we're going to take it on our own direction and make it happen for ourselves. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, we were still really open to meeting people that would understand us and want to, uh, yeah, yeah, want to sort of move it forward uh, with their ideas as well. Like we got a manager after that, you know, and that he he put out our stuff on his label, and um, that was great for a couple of years. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't. I mean, we we we. I think at this point, if it had happened like ten years later, we might have been more kind of independent thinking and just taking it more into our own hands. Um, and we are, in fact, we're still going and we are, in fact, going to try and release some new stuff, uh, hopefully later in the year. So um, and that'll obviously be a lot more uh, with all the experience I've had since then. It'll be a lot more independent and DIY and more will be more in control for sure. Yeah. Um, so Rachel Stamp, as I said before, but I mean, you did loads of playing is to my in my memory you know, played a lot of really busy live band. Have you got um, any particular kind of highlights of uh, playing live you know gigs that really stick out for you um from that time yeah i think um well yeah definitely when we headlined at historia um which obviously isn't there anymore but it was like a pretty prestigious large club in london right in the west end um that was just that was just an amazing feeling to to feel like oh this is we've done this you know with our songs and our fans and um yeah, it's a pretty big deal. And at that point, we we literally didn't have a deal, you know. Um, and I think, I think we were actually the first band to play there with no record deal, you know, to actually headline it with no record deal. So that was quite a big deal. And it was just a great gig as well, you know. Nothing, one of those gigs where everything goes right and um, uh, amazing atmosphere. Yeah. So that's that one really sticks out. And what is it that uh, that drives Rachel Stamp? like these, these days will what is it that keeps you making music as a group of musicians uh well we haven't done anything yet we do <laughs> for the last sort of 10 years or so we do the odd comeback gig and we play all the old stuff so that's and it's great but at this point i think we're going to try and move forward we've just got an agent for the first time for you know decades so um that's all falling into place really well there's a guy that wants to put out some of our old stuff as well um so uh yeah but i personally i'd like to do some some new stuff and i think we're all in agreement that we're going to do that um and get it out you know and do some more touring before the end of the year is it the same the the original lineup is it the same members that have been involved throughout uh it's still me and david but it's it's uh shahina and robin uh who kind of joined right after that period i was talking about with warners um we had a different drummer a different keyboard player when we first got signed 
but that's kind of the this is the lineup that everyone knows you know so um this was the 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 stamp sound, I guess. <laughs> the stamp sound. I have to say, we're, uh, researching uh, ahead of speaking to you, watching some of the the Rachel Stamp videos and listening to, to some of the music, the the guitar sound is ridiculous. <laughs> it's so big. It's so big, isn't it? Um, I'm going to ask a, a bit of a muso nerd, nerd <laughs> question, but tell us a bit about your Rachel Stamp guitar sounds. But I mean, so on, especially on some of those singles, it's just so huge. Um, how, how how did you go about developing your guitar sound, Will? Ah, right. Well, I'm actually the first album we actually released, which was called Hymns for Strange Children. <laughs> I'm not that impressed with the guitar sound on that Are at all. Not? I don't. I would completely change a lot of the stuff I was doing on that. And um, uh, but the second album, Oceans of Venus, I can listen. I I listen to that, and I wouldn't change anything about any of the sounds on that. So. It's uh, it's kind of um, a bit of a dichotomy for me. I don't, um, yeah. I uh, with Oceans of Venus, the, the the it's probably the what you're talking about. That's the massive sound I think that I managed to get, and that was just we had an amazing engineer called Roger Tebbert who who just knew exactly what he was doing. There's a lot of layering going on on that. A lot of um, kind of. I think there's there's a lot of very close mic stuff to get a bit more technical, like where where it's not. It's kind of like compressed um, naturally, you know. Um, so maybe there was that, but I was always trying to do, say, if there was if there was sort of a lot of rhythm playing like that, um, I was always trying to go the opposite way for the solo, kind of say, well, let's put loads of reverb on this and make it a bit twangy and with a you know whammy bar or something. Um, so yeah, I think I was always trying to kind of juxtapose sounds as well, as well as just making it have a big bed of noise, you know, in the background. Did you, did you take those experiences of developing a guitar sound with a, with a producer like that? Uh, and, and, you know, to, to kind of be able to do that for yourself in other situations, you know, going in and recording and, and, and think, thinking about the engineering side of, of being a guitarist. Um, is that something that you kind of explored a bit more? Cause it's not something that, you know, every musician does, is it? Yeah, no, I've definitely explored it, but I mean, the stuff I do is more kind of electronic based and I do it yeah. at home. So it's, um, I still haven't really found it necessary to go in a studio and learn everything about how, how stuff is mic'd up and how it's recorded. Um, I should really, you know, I should know more about it considering I've done so much recording, but, um, I've always just managed to well, over the years, you meet certain engineers that you know are going to make you sound great. And um, I've always managed to sort of keep them uh, in the loop when I've been recording with some of my bands, you know. Yeah. yeah. Do, you like the stu- do you like the studio environment? Do you like being in the studio? I do. I, yeah, I like the result. Of it. I don't, <laughs> I, I'd still prefer playing live to anything, really. You know, that's... Um, uh, but, you no, know, I when, I when I get into it, it's, it's like really... Um, it's really rewarding, yeah. Studio work. Who are, who are the key people, the key guitarists that have influenced you uh, in in your style, Will? Um, well, I think obviously Marco Peroni, uh, who played on all those Ants hits, and also uh, Matthew Ashman, who played on the really early stuff. Um, so those are two big ones. Um, I love Brian Setzer. Uh, you know, I've got that that rockabilly thing will always be part of what I do. 
and he's just the best you know and he's like he's one of the only guitarists that i can just sit and watch all night basically you know um because i'm not you know i'm not a kind of complete guitar head when it comes to going to gigs i don't sort of just stare at the guitarist and work out what's in his rack or whatever i just i just like bands you know i like that the the overall sort of uh chemistry of a band and um and songs you know so um but yeah those are the three that spring to mind really yeah well your uh your website lists like the many bands and artists that you've performed with uh and worked with um do you see yourself as a session musician do and do you know do do do, do these people seek you out how, how does it work for you the, these collaborations yeah, I, do, I mean, there's been periods where I have been, like after Rachel Stamp kind of ceased to exist the first time, um, I didn't have anything else. And I was doing a few different things with different people at that point. So I guess I what you know, I was ostensibly a, a session musician at that point. Um, but, um, you know, later on, uh, I, I was recording with different people, actually writing with different people, you know, and stuff. So then you feel more, like you're involved with the overall thing, like you're more of a part of it. Um, um, and then, you know, with, pe- with people like Adam, I'm just, uh, I am I am still a session musician, I guess, but it's kind of like we do feel like a band because, we, you know, th- these members have been doing it for years now. It's all been the same people. Um, so, and I, I like to feel like I, well, I like to feel like I, I bring something else, you know, of my personality rather than just a kind of faceless uh, session musician. So um, hopefully people appreciate that. Oh, d- doubtless. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really important, isn't it, to feel like you are a band. You know, you're, it's Adam and the Ants out, out on tour, isn't it? So it's important for the band to feel like a band, isn't it, rather than just a you know, collection of session players. Um, yeah, yeah. It was making me think about the uh, the folks playing on the, the the ABBA shows at the moment, how that must feel playing with avatars as the uh, avatars as the <laughs> singers, avatars, yeah. but yeah, they've got yeah. these crack musicians just you know drilled to within an inch of their lives to play oh. these tunes. Um, I didn't realise that. Okay, I didn't. Yeah, no, it's a, full, it's a full live band that uh, you know every night, twice on Saturdays. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, imagine that. Um, fancy playing with an avatar out front? <laughs> who, well, who, which band would you be in if you? Yeah, didn't I don't have know. Am I doing Elvis or something? That'd be all right. Wouldn't it? Oh yeah. Um, or um, I don't know. No, no one that I've worked with has died yet, so I can't really say that I would be. <laughs> touch wood. Come on, come on, touch wood now. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. Um, but I don't know. Maybe. Uh, no, I think Elvis would be great actually, but because they've been doing they've been doing holographic Elvis for quite some time now, haven't they? Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, that would be a big band to be in as well, wouldn't it? Be all the the kind of horns and stuff in there as well. It would yeah. be that would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'd like to do the, you know when the, on the '68 special when he when they all sat down acoustically, you know that. Oh, great man. I mean that's we wouldn't be able to use a click track though. <laughs> really <laughs> no, that's true that's true what was his yeah. guitar player sunny something oh sunny, um sunny something i can't remember his surname. Uh, yeah i know yeah, it's very yeah. cool oh, yeah that thing where they're just scotty doing... scotty moore you scotty thank moore. you scotty yeah. Moore. yeah 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 oh, thank you yeah great yeah, scotty moore yeah 
Um, well, we'd like to pick out a, a couple more of the diverse collaborations you've been involved in, if you don't mind. Can you share a little bit about working with Pete, Pete Murphy? Oh, well, that was, um, I, I sort of spent more time with Peter Murphy when I was in the support band to him, a band called Liven. Um, and we did two, I think we did two tours. Yeah. With him in the States. Um, um, and also Liven had him on as a special guest, uh, when he played in LA about, that was about over 10 years ago now. Um, so that was the only time I've actually played with him on stage was just that one time. Um, but yeah, no, obviously, uh, uh, it, there's, a, there's a connection there. Yeah. Because we did those tours and everything. Yeah. Um, oh, well, and we can't resist asking you about the connection to Celine Dion, because that really does kind of leap out of the, the biog a little bit. And I was, even, I even said to Ben, I'm not sure I believe that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was quite unbelievable. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, about it. <laughs> I did. I don't, I actually didn't play live with her at all. It was just TV stuff. It was that, so that was a real kind of session thing you know but we did like a whole um audience with Celine Dion you know like a whole hour show um she was singing live she was great you know um and a few other tv shows at the time because she had a single out an album and all that so um uh yeah it was cool it was like a very um I mean basically it was right before she started her Vegas residency you know which she's probably still doing as far as I know um so they had all the dancers and all that you know it's very Vegas the whole thing so no, it was a good experience, you know, and um, she seemed very nice. So, yeah. <laughs> one, one thing, one thing I was wondering from reading through your resume is, uh, do you ever sleep at all, Will? Because it looks like you're probably constantly on the go, twenty four seven. Yeah, I just addicted to uh, caffeine, really. So that helps. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I do sleep, but um, I'll probably sleep well on this tour. I normally sleep better when I'm on tour because you're only needed for a couple of hours a night, really. Who are you going out with on, on, on tour tomorrow? Uh, we're going out with Adamant uh, tomorrow. We've got a whole UK tour um, starting Guildford tomorrow. Yeah, so it's about almost a month, I think. Are, they, are these the first post-pandemic shows or you've been, have you been playing since and um, before this? Uh, I've done gigs, yeah, but I haven't been on tour since like late 2019. So it's uh, been a long time since that. But we did a load of festivals last year. And my other band, she made me do it. We've been doing gigs, quite a lot of gigs actually around London. Um, and yeah, I've done solo gigs as well. So yeah, I've kind of um, kind of kept it going as best I could, you know, apart from obviously the real lean period where everything was locked down, you know. Mm. Did, what, did you find yourself being creative during that time or did you, did you do, go, kind of go the other way and have, use it as an opportunity to not do anything? And that, yeah, no, I did. I put out two albums in uh, 2020, two solo albums and a couple of EPs with She Made Me Do It. Um, so yeah, I found it quite easy to um, to carry on being creative really, yeah. Uh, yeah, Luckily. that sort of backs up what you were saying before, Ben, about you, you're, not, you're not ever resting, Will. <laughs> yeah, well, there's not much else to do, was there? You know, it's well, like, I suppose, yeah. Yeah. I suppose. Learn how, Japanese. How does it work with She Made Me Do It? What sort of what sort of circuit, what sort of level is that is that band at? Uh well we we're still doing like small clubs and everything, but it's it's good, you know, loads of people appreciate what we're doing. Um I think the songs are getting better and better and we're we're a really sort of tight unit now. We have uh we didn't we started off with 
kind of electronic backing track but now we've got drums so it's a lot more rock than it used to be but it's really good yeah um and we've done a few sort of well we did whitby goth festival that was probably the biggest one we've done um a few years ago and we supported altered images a couple of years ago that was great and the chameleons that was a good gig so we've had quite a few good cool supports yeah so looking for more of that after this tour well yeah just just on that i mean we've talked a lot with guests on the show about the importance of community and a, and a kind of supportive network or a scene have you do you see yourself as part of something like that um yeah there is a bit of that in london i guess um i mean we did a we did a load of gigs with she made me do it with this uh company called camden live and they just do certain venues around camden um <clears throat> and that was cool because it was kind of the same kind of bands doing it and you get to know people um yeah, so um, there's definitely a rock scene in London. Unfortunately, some of the venues are still going down. You know, like Nambuco near me just just went bust the other week. Um, so that's quite sad. Um, but hopefully, there'll be new ones sprouting up. You know, we hope. But there's a is there a kind of network of people for you to tap into um, for support when you need it? Um, well, it's kind of all, all my kind of support. It's all kind of through doing online stuff, really. And it all kind of uh, cross pollinates with the Adam and the Ants fans and Rachel Stamp fans, um, solo fans, you know, fans of what I do solo. Um, so they all, all the individual kind of projects help each other, really, you know, as far as um, support from people goes. Yeah. Have you always been based in the, in, in London? Yeah, I always lived in London. Yeah, I was born in like southwest London. Uh, I've lived all over London, but I'm in North London now. Yeah. So, and and I mean, just going back to when Rachel Stamp was first starting in those sort of formative years and stuff, there, there was there were a lot of venues, and there was a like a strong kind of scene, you know, to be you know around around studios and around rehearsal rooms and around you know venues and stuff. Um, do you still do you, you said that you sort of you can still see that now but um given that you you've had that sort of 30 year plus musical journey how do you think you were feeling if you, how do you think you would feel if you were just getting started now um how would i feel uh, i don't know i'd be i probably i mean like because of the online thing now i think that almost makes it more daunting because you you're just aware of so much more, you know, so much more going on all over the world. So um, I think maybe you wouldn't be, I think maybe the, the way that you're sort of, that we were blinkered by not seeing what everyone else was doing all the time um, back back then, um, I think that maybe helped uh, with the kind of blind kind of um, ambition, you know, it, it kind of, uh, these days I think it's probably harder to muster that, um, and it's, you know, like when you're young as well, you're, you're just always comparing yourself to other people, always being influenced by other people. And um, and there's just, it's almost like there's too many influences now. You know, I don't want to be one of these old fuckers that just complains about um, how it is these days. But in that respect, I think uh, I have a point. You know, I think um, I, I think it, it's pretty hard to get on yeah, and, and do what you want musically. Um, your experiences have, must have taken you all over the world touring in that, Will. Are there any sort of key standout moments for you? 
uh playing the greek theater with adam in la that was that was amazing that's mm. i think that's my favorite venue it's just uh it's like a sort of mini amphitheater and like the sun was shining and yeah just a really great atmosphere um that one stands out um every time we go to new york it's amazing as well um oh i went to i played with the the selector for a few years um and we went to columbia literally just for a day for 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 um, a festival and that that was mind-blowing that was just i loved it there you know amazing coffee and um <laughs> the festival was just ginormous it was like tens of thousands of people you know um so that yeah that was that was a really cool experience i loved columbia i'd love to go back what um what took you into playing with the selector when, before we came on the call me and steve were talking about in that particularly you know and mm. watching going through some of your stuff on your website and seeing the performance with pauline black she's such an incredible front uh, front person isn't she absolutely yeah yeah amazing energy and um yeah she's uh a force to be reckoned with absolutely um that was just that was actually wasn't even through anyone i particularly knew that well it was just someone on facebook um had seen that she'd uh, i don't know if she posted or something that she they were looking for a guitarist so he mentioned it to me and i just i just messaged her and she said oh can you do this can you do that i said yeah of course you know i mean i'd never played scar before it wasn't really in my in my repertoire of styles you know but um i kind of um, the thing is with that two-tone stuff there was a very big kind it's almost like a kind of rockabilly element to it you know especially with the specials and all that um they had roddy radiation who was just like the guy with the quiff you know and and the gretches or whatever you know so um I think she kind of dug that, that, that I brought that to it. Um, and a bit of kind of punk energy, I guess, you know, for want of a better term. Um, so yeah, they worked really well playing with them and, uh, great bands, you know, amazing, amazing drummer, just, uh, and great people. And we went all over the world. Yeah. It was, it was great. <laughs> it's brilliant. Um, I was just, I'm just sort of slightly sidetracked by the idea of playing some of those songs and cause you've, You've played alongside some really iconic figures and performed alongside some really uh, iconic figures, haven't you? In uh, you know across all the stuff that you've done, just go you know if you, I'll put a link to your website in in the show notes so people can go and sort of explore some of your music and some of that stuff. Um, I don't suppose there's really a question there, is there? <laughs> <laughs> It must be it must be really nice to look back on and think about you know those I mean, Brian Ferry, Tom Jones, Billy Bragg, iconic, unique performers in 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 their own right. How is how is working alongside people like that fed into your own music making? Because these are you know big personalities with really unique sounds and really sort of um, important music. Yeah, oh, all these people that you can tell they still love what they do and that's their motivation, you know? So that's just that the main inspiration you get from these people is that they, that they just live for what they do, you know, like say Tom Jones, he was just, he was just so, you could tell he was just came alive as soon as there was a microphone in front of him, you know, and, um, he'll always be like that, you know? Um, so I think that's the main thing I got from it. Um, yeah, just really good energy, you know, different kinds of energy from all these different people. But, um, always really good yeah 
Nice. Um, listen, thanks, Phil. Um, what's on the horizon for you and what ambitions or experiences do you still have in music? Uh, I'm always up for new experiences with different people, you know, different collaborations, uh, bands. Um, so this is, I mean, we have this tour now and then we have a few festivals. Uh, and then, like I say, we're going to try and do a Rachel Stamp tour later in the year. Uh, that'll be the next thing. But yeah, still still on the lookout for other stuff. You know, um, I love going to the States. Um, and uh, <clears throat> I played a solo gig there a couple of months ago. I love going to L.A. and, and doing that. And that's quite easy to do for me because it's just a one man show. You know, I just plug in and do it. So I'm definitely going to look at trying to get back out there as well and do some more live work. Well, uh, well, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and, you know, uh, allowing us to uh, delve through your experiences and, you know, kind of jump around all over the place. It's been really great, really great to talk to you. Um, thanks for making time ahead of your uh, heading out on tour tomorrow. Um, can we just finish off with you introducing the song that people are going to hear now, please? Yeah, this is Scant Regard uh, and it's I Gotta Say. Thanks, Will. Yeah, thanks, Will. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It was really cool. Good questions. <laughs>
Envelope is presented, produced, and edited by Steve Swindon and Ben Clay. Music is by state sponsored Jukebox. Artwork is by Matt Canning. Songs from a Padded Envelope is a Hidden Hive production. Mm-hmm.